you uh, we're going to be in Genesis one and two, if you want to turn there with me. But before we do, let me uh, pray for us as you're you're finding your way there. But let's uh, pray together. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we have together. We thank you uh, as we just sang that we need you, but that you are our defense and you're our righteousness. And we thank you for that. We pray that as we open your word together, that you would lead and guide us, that you would be the one that teaches us as we often say as we open your word, we are hopelessly lost without you. And so we need you to lead and guide and teach us through your spirit this morning. And so we ask that you would do that as we spend time in your word, that you would apply this to our lives and our hearts and that you would show us more clearly who you are and that we would leave here having seen you all the more clearly, seeing your glory. And uh, we pray that we'd make much of you as we spend this time here together this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, I came across uh, a really uh, telling ad this week. It was a new ad that somebody uh, I saw had had posted a thing about it and was kind of talking about the different things. But there's these new ads that I saw for uh, uh, conservation ads uh, this week. And it's uh, a big push that they started doing. As a lot of things we do today, we uh, tag celebrities into it and somehow that gives it more meaning uh, in our culture. And so I was watching these different ads and the first one I watched, it's about a two minute thing and it's all these beautiful pictures of the earth and the ocean and mountains and all these things. And it's, uh, I believe the one I watched was Mother Nature and it was uh, narrated by Julia Roberts, a famous actress. And she's speaking over it. She's speaking about all these things and she's saying, I am Mother Nature. And so she's speaking from first person. And as you hear the ad, one of the things she says is there, she says, I've, I've fed species greater than you. And I've starved species greater than you. My oceans, my soil, my flowing stream, my forests. They can all take you or leave you. Your actions will determine your fate, not mine. And so when you watch these ads, there's a real strong push, a very clear worldview that comes through when you watch them and the different things that are there. I actually watched a couple other ones. Harrison Ford is the ocean. If you want to see that one, Uh, Harrison Ford is first person, the ocean. And so uh, different ones. Those are the only two I watched. There were a lot more, but those are the two I watched. But what came across, there's a lot we could talk about with that ad in particular. And the article I was reading was addressing some of those things. But the thing I, I bring it up, the reason I bring it up is, is what we believe about origins has huge implications on our lives in all different areas. And so what those ads believe about origins is that we come from mother nature and she's our mother and she can take our life at any time. And we're small and insignificant. A whole lot of things that go directly against what scripture teaches us. But that's you see clearly the worldview that's there. And there's a whole lot of implications if you believe that how that plays out in a whole lot of different things. And so last week we started a new series thinking about our work, the work that we do, the work God has given us to do, what the Bible teaches us about work. And we started by really looking at the ends of that, how God is going to bring a redemption and regeneration out of all things and how that really informs the way we go about our work. But today we're going to go back to the beginning and think about the very origins of work, because what we believe about origins and all things, including work and how we see it, is going to greatly shape how we go about our business each day and the things that we have to do. And so we're going to spend some time in Genesis one and in the beginning of Genesis two, really the end of one and the beginning of two and what it teaches us about origins and what it teaches us about who God is and the way that looks and and where work comes from. 
And when we see what God teaches us, it has profound effects. And I think as we walk through it together, you're going to see so many things that our culture says, says and believes and acts on that are not in line with what Scripture teaches. Because we don't have it rooted in the origins of what God has told us about the way work originated and where it comes from and why we have it. And so we're going to spend some time thinking about that this morning. And so simply as we look at the end of of Genesis one and the beginning of chapter two of Genesis, as God lays out for us how he created and how he made things. This is what I want us to look at and think about first. Where did work come from? What is its origination? Where does it come from? We want to think about its origins. Then secondly, when we see clearly what the Bible teaches, what are the implications for us? There's some real strong, important implications that are there. And then lastly, the third thing I want us to think about is when we see what God tells us and what he teaches us, how do we keep that in proper balance? Because there's some things that Genesis 1 and 2 in particular tell us that really help us to keep it in the right balance. And so let's just begin with that first idea of where uh, work originates and where it comes from. I just read to you just a second ago the end of Genesis chapter 1 and the very beginning of chapter 2. And we talked a little bit about this last week. I mentioned the, the idea that the very beginning of God's word, Genesis 1-1, begins with in the beginning God. That there was God and there was nothing else and then he spoke everything into creation That he is the giver and sustainer of all life. And that has huge and profound implications in and of itself that we're just going to scratch the surface on today. But as we start to work our way through this idea of work, I want us to go back to Genesis 1 and verse 26 for just a second. And so start there with me as we think about origins of where we came from and what it looks like and where our work comes from. As God says, let us make man in our own image and after our likeness and let them have dominion. Over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens And over every living thing that moves on earth. And so God gives us this clear picture from the very beginning. He creates us in his image and then gives us this charge. Uh, I've often heard it said uh, in seminary and in different times in books you read. Oftentimes we'll talk about Genesis 1, 26 to 28 is the cultural mandate. That God has given us this charge to go and subdue the earth and have dominion over it and to make things and do things and take charge and all the stuff that he gives us to do. And it's right at the beginning in Genesis one that he tells us that subdue and have dominion. We're creating a culture out of that, of the, the raw materials God's given us. And that's right from the beginning. And that's right there in Genesis one. But then look at Genesis two for just a second as he starts to expand a little bit what that looks like. And so pick up in verse seven of chapter two. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight And good for food, the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now look down at verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, you shall surely eat of the tree 
of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone and I will make for him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man so that he could call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his, what was its name. The man gave name to all the livestock and to the birds and to the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and he brought him to the man. And so you have this picture of what God did and how he's kind of set the scene and how he set everything up. And I just want you to think about this is a very uh, familiar passage. If you've grown up in or around the church, you've probably heard Genesis one and two at different times, thought about some of those things. But I want you to think of the picture uh, of paradise there. There's no fall. Sin has not entered. Nothing bad has happened. God sets this picture up. And it says he's got man in this garden. It says God made this garden and he puts man in it and he makes a helper fit for him. And you have Adam and Eve, the first man and woman in this relationship. We see a little bit later in chapter three, it's implied there that they would walk with God in the cool of the day, that they had a direct and intimate relationship with God unhindered. They walked with God in the garden. And so you see this paradise, this picture, first and foremost, is that they are walking together in the garden together with God. And so you have them in the relationship with God. You have the relationship with man and woman put together perfectly. God says they given in marriage. There's friendship and companionship. There's sexuality. They are now becoming one flesh. It says at the end of the chapter, and you have this incredible picture. You have this beautiful place where they eat and they enjoy wonderful food and there's beauty all around them in the garden. And you have this picture of paradise. But there's one thing that we often forget, and that's verse 15 that he says. And the Lord God took man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. In paradise, work is there. It's not something that came later. It's not a result of the rebellion. It's not a result of the fall. But God, in his sovereignty, in his perfect, in his love, in his goodness, he sets them there and gives them all those things and then says, you're going to work and keep this. And so it's really important for us to begin to think about this picture of, of what that looked like, that work was part of God's original design. Before anything went wrong or went bad, he had that to be part of it. And we often forget that to be the case, that in paradise it was there. Now, it's a neat exercise to think, what would it have been like to do work with no sin? Can you imagine? No deadlines, no, one, no anxiety over making enough money, no uh, frustration over this didn't work well. None of those things, but just going about and doing wonderful, fulfilling work every day and enjoying it. Right? It's a little bit uh, the picture, I think, of what's going to happen when Jesus returns. What a wonderful uh, image to have in your mind. But that's the picture that we have here. But there's something else that's really remarkable when you start to think about this. And it goes against a lot of what the world says. It certainly went against ancient cultures around the time that uh, Moses would have been writing this down. What people would have thought and the way they would have looked. And it's right at the beginning of Genesis chapter 2. 
Look at verses one and two. That's the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And then verse two. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so when we start to talk about origins, we could say, well, God made man and he put him in the garden and he gave us work. And so it was always there from the beginning. But it goes even further than that. God originates or work originates with God. It says God was the one that was working in creation. He was making these things and then he rested from his work. And so when we really start to think about origins, we get to the idea that work actually originated with God. That has huge implications and it actually flies on the face of pretty much what everyone else in culture and society going way back to ancient times. It's it's the opposite of what most uh, worldviews believe. It's kind of the uh, flies in the face of all of it. And so if you go back to 1500 B.C., one of the earliest uh, creation accounts we have, a Babylonian creation account called the Enuma Elish. I think I'm saying that right. But it, it, it told of creation and it was the way the Babylonians looked at it. And what they believed happened is there were some gods, plural, and they made the earth and they made the people and they came up with man so that he could take care of the earth so he could work. And what they tell, if you read through that ancient account, the gods made man so that they didn't have to work and they gave him the work to do. It was a bad thing that they didn't want to have anything to do with, so we'll give to man. And that was a prevalent worldview in the ancient world. Or if you fast forward a little bit to Greek mythology, if you remember, I was terrible at that. I don't remember a lot of it. I went back and was reading different parts of it this week. But in Greek mythology, there was Pandora's box. If you remember that story. Uh, it was actually a vase, I think, when I was reading it this week. But we call it Pandora's box. And she opened it up and she let certain bad things out. And death and famine and war and pestilence come out uh, when she opens Pandora's box. And when you read in Greek mythology, tucked away in that is also work as part of what comes out of Pandora's box. The evil that we let out and now we can't undo it. And so you start to read through these ancient accounts or you get to... Uh, Socrates, great philosopher, ancient Greek, and he would say that if you do physical labor, that's less than right. The smart, educated people are philosophers who sit around and think and theorize on things, but they don't do physical labor. And so you start to see things that our culture have long held to be true about work that have been sewn in. You can say, well, that's great. All those old, old, ancient things. What do I care about that? Well, those have all influenced what we believe about work today. You see it even as you look at uh, maybe ads today. I see it when I watch advertisements for retirement. Uh, how are you going to plan for retirement? And almost always the way it's framed whether meaningful or not, but I think there's some reasons for that. And it's all this stuff together. But it's always how are you planning so that one day you won't have to work? Or, or more so, it's it's how are you working? Uh, the only good reason to work is to make enough money so you don't have to work. And it says a lot of things about what's important about work and what it looks like. And so we see that all over the place. And what we believe to be true about work is greatly going to influence the way we work. The way we go about what we do. Now, let me remind you, I said this last week, but I want to make sure I say it again. When we talk about work, we don't just mean gainful employment. 
When we think about the things that God gives us to do day to day, we have a lot of things that we do that are part of our work that maybe we don't get paid for. Probably we do a lot more that we don't get paid for than we do a lot of times in what we do. And so I want us to think about that. But that picture that's there, the assumptions that we have about origins are greatly going to influence the way we do our work. If you believe those new ads, the conservation ads that come out, Mother Nature, we've gotten here by accident. Mother Nature can take us out at any time and we're lucky just to be alive. Then work becomes something we just do to survive. And it has no greater meaning. And it's just for a time that we do it so that we can have enough to eat and that's it. And so you see how all those things begin to feed in how we look at the work that we have to do in front of us. And it's all over the place. But what the Bible says stands in stark contrast to all the rest. It says work begins with God. That God works in creation and he rests from his work. And then he gives us work to do as a good and gracious gift. It's a good thing that God's given us work to do. You see this picture that's so radical here of God that's working. But then the image gets pushed even a little further in verse 7. It says, uh, And the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put man whom he'd formed. You see his work, the image that's there. He's taking the dirt of the ground and forming man. It's a beautiful picture that runs all the way through Scripture. God is the potter and we are the clay. We see that over and over coming throughout Scripture. And so, so to speak, there's an image there of God getting his hands dirty and beginning to to till the garden, to put the garden in its place, to come and, and make us and fashion us out of the ground. Now you can say, well, that's just an image that's there. God doesn't have hands like we have and those kind of things. That would be true. We're we're assigning human characteristics to God to try to understand them. But think about when God does come as a man. When God takes on flesh and he begins to walk among us and live among us. What did he do? He was a carpenter, right? He used his hands. He no doubt had callus on his hands. He no doubt got dirty as he did it and the work that he did. And you start to see this picture of a God who works. It originates with him. And so it's very profound and important for us to think about it. And so I want us to think about the implications that has when we begin to see that work begins with God. That it was his good idea that God was working and doing those things and what it happens. And I think one of the big implications for us is it means all the different vocations, the different jobs, the different backgrounds that are represented just in this room. All the different places you come from, different education, whether you would consider yourself blue collar or white collar, uh, educated or not so educated or whatever it may be or in between, that there's not a hierarchy. All those things are good and they're good gifts from God. The things that we assign that this is important work and this is menial tasks that don't mean anything, they don't come from the Bible. We assign those in all different ways. We do that all the time. But the truth is God created all of this and he gave us the opportunity as his image bearers made after his likeness. He had gifted us in different ways to be part of this. This cultural mandate to have dominion, to subdue the earth, to be in it, to do all these things. He's given all of us a part to play in that. And he's gifted us in different ways, and it's all part of it. And oftentimes we miss that. Now, we don't create 
the same way that God creates. God creates out of nothing, which I don't know anyone here that does that. Uh, We don't just say there it is and that's what happens. We have to use the raw materials that God's given us. It's kind of like on Christmas when you get a great big uh, bag of Legos, right? You've given the material and now you get to come up with what you're going to make out of it. And so God does that with us. Here's the earth. Subdue it. Use this creation that I've given you. You're going to reflect me. We talked about that last week, that our work is to be glorifying God, reflecting who he is. And then we get to do things. But I want you to think about all the different jobs that we do, all the different things God's called us to, again, whether paying or not, and how if we really believe this is true of who God is and what he's the way he's made us, what that means for us in our jobs in what we do and what God's brought for us to do. And so whether you're a parent, uh, you're a teacher, you're a caregiver, uh, you work in an office job or retail or food services or you work outside with your hands or whatever it may be. God's using you in different ways to subdue the earth, to, to go forth the cultural mandate, to do your work unto him, glorifying him and whatever that is. And so if you just think through different jobs that God gives us, you know, some people start a business. They go, I see a need in our culture and where we are. And so I start a business and I employ other people and I put together a plan and I offer a service and I do all that. You're creating. You're subduing. You're making things. You're glorifying who God is. You're taking those materials and doing that. Maybe you're an artist that likes to paint or sculpt or make things with your hands. Or or you're a carpenter and you take raw materials and you bring them together and you build a house or you build whatever it is, different things. And you're doing that and you're creating and you're making them that way. I have a friend who makes knives. He actually makes knives and he goes through that process and he carves all this incredible stuff. And he makes this very practical, helpful tool and he takes raw materials and he makes it into it. And he begins to show uh, glorify God and making of knives. And you can think about it in all these different ways. A teacher, and I don't mean just a school teacher, but teaching your children or your grandchildren or wherever God's placed you. You're taking a child that has a lot of potential, but doesn't know a lot of things yet. And you're helping realize that potential in them. You're helping to shape and point them to that. You're you're bringing order out of chaos a lot of times with kids. Right. That's that's what the spirit's doing. It's his creating and we're doing that. Uh, You could say you work uh, uh, caring for other people. You could be a banker helping people get their money in order and do those things and plan. You could be an insurance and helping people plan for for hard times or different things that are coming. You could be a garbage man. You're cleaning up and keeping orderly and subduing the creation and putting things in order and you're glorifying God in that. I was thinking about this this week and I was mowing my lawn yesterday. I'm going through this in my mind. I am subduing the creation, right? Very literal. I mean, we kind of laugh at it, but that's exactly what you're doing. I'm putting things in order. I'm glorifying in my tiny little way in the hour it took to mow my yard. I'm reflecting back what God is like. We often don't think of it that way. We gloss over those menial tasks like they don't mean anything, but they do. And in all these things, God's allowing us to be part. Maybe you work at a fast food restaurant and you get to serve people and give them food. You're helping their sustenance. You're you're helping in that. You get to serve them as you do it. Maybe you cut hair. Maybe you vacuum your house. 
Maybe you get your kids dressed in the morning. Maybe you wipe dirty bottoms. All of that is part of God's gift of work that he's giving you that's pointing back and glorifying him. And so often we don't think of it that way. And so it's so important that we get the origins right. That this starts with God and he gives us this and it's a good thing and we get to glorify him in all these different things we do. We get to point back to who he is and what he's like. That work is not a necessary evil that came in as Pandora opened her box. It's something good that God gave us that glorifies what he's like. And he allows us to be part of that. It's a beautiful and wonderful picture when we start to think of it. And there's practical applications, very practical applications to our own heart and our own identity in the culture we live in. Our culture would say that doing this job is more important than this job. And you can fill in the blanks of whatever you want. But I want you to think about how absurd and how arbitrary those things are that we often assign meaning to this is really important and this is not. In our society today, I saw a thing the other day. It was leaked online. A guy's paycheck who's a professional baseball player. Two-week paycheck, $800,000. That's for a guy that can hit a ball three times out of ten. Right? You're a Hall of Famer if you can hit it three times out of ten. Thirty percent of the time. Now, the guy's an incredibly gifted athlete, hand-eye coordination, speed, all kinds of great things that he can do. Now, imagine he was born 200 years ago in the Himalayan mountains. Does that skill set make him $800,000 every two weeks? No, absolutely not. So why does he gifted in the way that he is to make as much money as he is right now where he is? It's by God's grace that he allowed him to be born in the time that he was to be able to do what he can do. The same would be true for every single one of us. If God has gifted you to be able to make massive amounts of money by the skill set he's given you, that's by God's grace. Oftentimes we assign that because you make more money, it's more important or you're more successful. That's not from the Bible. That's not from what God teaches us and tells us. He's given us and gifted us in all different ways and we can glorify him right where he's placed us and one is not better than the other. Those things that we arbitrarily assign to that is not what the scriptures teach. And when we begin to see that, there's very practical implications of that. Oftentimes, uh, we've seen it in the last 10 years. Uh, Not long after I moved here, there was a pretty severe economic downturn right here where we are. And all of a sudden, it's, it's harder to find work and it's harder to find jobs. And one of the things that you see happen when that's the case is I'm not going to do that job because it's beneath me. I don't want to do that because it doesn't pay enough. Or I don't want to do that because of what people will think of me in that job. And so we're allowing society to, to declare what is good work and what is bad work and how it works and what it's worth rather over and above what God tells us. So there's a very practical uh, application of this when we understand that all work comes from God, that we can glorify him in anything we do. And it kind of throws away some of those barriers that we like to assign to different things. You can glorify God no matter what it is that you're doing. In fact, I think it would be better, given the way God's designed us to take a job that pays less than to just sit and collect a check from the government, even if it gave you more money. 
If work is good and God's created us to do that and to do a job, that's hard for us to understand sometimes. But the bottom line is I could get more by doing nothing. Right. What are you created to be? And so there's some big uh, implications to believing the origins that God tells us of work. Work is good. We were made to work. We were made to be fruitful and to multiply and do some things. Now, here's the the last part I want us to consider, though, the last thing that we need to keep it in balance, because we can say work is good and it's a good thing and it's a good gift. And it is. It's absolutely true that it is. And it is a good thing. And God's made us to work. And that's part of who we are. But we talked about this last week. It's very, very dangerous when we make our identity what we do. That's not the way God made us. He didn't say I've gifted you in this way and you're going to be really great at this. And then when you're great at this, I'll love you. It's not the way God works, thankfully. He loves us because he loves us. And then we get to live out of that. And so when we think about keeping it in balance, I want to just hit on one more thing here before we end. And that's verse two, Genesis two, two. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done and all its creation. And so we can say work is a good thing that God's given us. And that's absolutely true. And we should be about doing some things and working. But we're to keep that in proper balance. God tells us from the very beginning that we're to have a rhythm of work and rest. That we are to rest. That that's part of his original design. And it's not just work all the time and go, go, go. But that's the society we live in. Especially we can hear, well, the Bible says it's good to work. I'm made to work. This is a good gift from God. And so then we can use that to justify ourselves for overworking. We can make it all about our work and I'm going to make lots of money. I'm going to do lots of things. and I'm going to do all this. But God said, I want you to work and I want you to rest. And that was from the very beginning of his creation. So much so that when you start to think about it, uh, it's so ingrained in who we are that God creates man on the sixth day. And then the first thing he has us do is rest. That drive you crazy today. Right? I've got this great job for you to do. You're going to go subdue the earth. You're going to make wonderful and great things. But first, I want you to rest. Right? That's really hard for us. And so we need to have a rhythm of work and rest. Oftentimes today, we look at the idea of Sabbath, of taking a rest and stopping and taking a day that's set aside to that. And we think that's optional. And most people, if you're really honest, the justification is I don't have time for that. I've got too much to do. And so God calls us to rest. We physically need to rest. We can't go all the time. We need the time to stop and have that rest recharge. And physically, we need that. But there's also a second reason. And we touched on this last week. But you'll hear me continue to say this as we go all the way through this series. Spiritually, we need to rest. We need to rest in who we are in Jesus above all else. You don't let your job be the way you define who you are. I've made this much money or I've accomplished this much or I've done these things. God loves you completely and totally by his grace, what he's done for you in Christ. And so you can rest in that. And then we work out of that rest. Oftentimes we can't take the physical stopping from our work to rest because we're not resting in who we are in Christ. I don't believe that I'm fully secure in my relationship with God and Jesus, that he loves me completely and totally. So I have to keep working. 
and I can't stop. And so when we see that that is true, then we can rest in other ways, physically rest. And we need to be able to do both. Work is a good gift from God and it brings good benefits and God's created us to do that. But it always needs to be rooted and grounded in who we are in Christ, which goes back to what we talked about last week. The way that we do our work is not trying to earn our worth before man, but we seek to glorify God in everything we do. That's the way God made it to be. It's a wonderful blessing when we see it that way. All the problems come when we start to get that out of focus and out of order and we work to be accepted versus we are already accepted and we get to now work. And so work is a good and gracious gift from God and we need to set our origins on that as we go forward. And so let's pray together. God, we thank you uh, for the gift of this planet. We thank you that you have placed us in a place with all this wonder and beauty and glory all around us. And you've allowed us to be part of that. That you've given us a small part in, in subduing your creation. And reflecting back who you are and all that we do. And so we pray this morning that we would see what you've given us to do. The tasks that you've put in front of us. Whatever they may be. is an opportunity to glorify your goodness and your greatness in all things. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.